Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bad Movie Sunday. I'm Ashley. I'm Amy. We are a podcast that watches bad movies so that you don't have to. We roast them. We toast them. And you know we have a lot of fun, especially with today's movie. Uh, If you've read the title, you know that it is Kill Me Three Times, which is a movie that I had never heard of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, same here. This is our second Simon Pegg movie that we're doing this year, I think. And it's also the second Simon Pegg movie that we've done that I've just literally never heard of before. Literally true. If you have been listening to our episodes in order, I guess, you know that in October we did slaughterhouse rules for one of our spooky season episodes which was another simon pegg movie and we had mixed thoughts about (laughs) it to say the least so we decided to come in with another simon pegg movie to see if we can redeem our boy because we have so much faith in him we know what he can do we wanted to maybe try to watch a good simon pegg movie yeah there are a lot out there and this season is our fun season Uh, This is season three, so we're trying to bring on movies that we think we're going to like or that we have already watched in the past and we have liked. And this is not one that I think either of us have watched before, but we do love our boy Simon Pegg. So this was a good, like, fun redemption movie. Now, personally, I don't think he needed to be redeemed for Slaughterhouse Rules, but that's (laughs) fine. You can go listen to that episode. But yeah, this is a good kind of uh, fun season movie to do. You know what? Okay, you, you're right. I'll give you that. Simon Pegg did not need to be redoomed for Slaughterhouse Rules. Um, did you say redoomed? Sorry, did you just say redoomed? You know, he was, the movie <laughs> was redoomed um, because of how bad it was. But <laughs> I know we had differing opinions on Slaughterhouse Rules. I don't think Simon Pegg needed to be redoomed. <laughs> um, but... The movie did. Simon Pegg was the best part of Slaughterhouse Rules, I thought. And he was only in it for like a a little tiny bit. So I think when he's more in a movie, like he's more, I don't know. He was in this movie a bit more. We'll get into kind of our our thoughts and how this movie maybe compares to Slaughterhouse Rules. But Simon Pegg always does a good job. Like, I don't, we we already know that. (laughs) It was the movie that needed redeeming. Yeah, we had different opinions on the movie, but we can both agree that Simon Pegg did very well in it. And I think, you know, he was the best part of this movie, too. Oh, of um, course. Yeah, also in this movie, because it takes place in Australia, is Luke Hemsworth, which I didn't realize yes. until I did my research afterwards. And I was like, there was a Hemsworth in this? Yeah, we have a bunch of Australian actors, a nice Australian setting for this movie. And for anyone who hasn't heard of Kill Me Three Times, which I think is most of you, (laughs) uh, I do have a little summary here from IMDb. And it says, professional hitman Charlie Wolf finds himself in three tales of murder, blackmail, and revenge after a botched contract assignment. Which is, I don't know about you, dear listener, but something that's very up Amy and I's alley. This kind of like... Not really who done it, but like, I don't know, kind of like some sort of mystery around this murder that's happening. Amy showed me the summary of this to see if we would be interested in watching this movie. And immediately I was like, love the summary, love Simon Pegg, we're doing this movie. 
<laughs> yeah, and we're doing it now. And we're going to start off the way we are, we always start off with a drink. And because, you know, I already mentioned the Australian setting, nice island, uh, nice beaches and things, but also some murder. So <laughs> this drink kind of combines both of those elements. Oh. And it's called the Blood and Sand. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So what you're going to need is 30 milliliters of whiskey, 30 milliliters of orange juice, 25 of red vermouth, 25 of cherry brandy, and ice. So what you need to do is fill a cocktail shaker with ice cubes, add your scotch whiskey, uh, your orange juice, your red vermouth, and your cherry brandy, and then shake and strain into a cocktail glass. And it's got a nice red color. You know, usually I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating <laughs> and it gets everywhere. I knew it! <laughs> I knew I knew that quote was going to come up sometime during the course of this podcast. But that sounds like a, a drink I could get behind. <laughs> <laughs> We also have a little drinking game to go along with it. Uh, if you want to watch this movie, you can drink along to these points. Or if you just want to listen to our podcast, then we'll try to yell a drink whenever these things happen. We usually, almost every time, forget, though. So, <laughs> good luck. We're going to go back and forth. And my first point is take a drink every time someone dies. Yeah, yeah, that's where I was going to. Um, similarly, along those lines, every time a car gets lit on fire. Oh, this is good. I have every time Simon Pegg puts out a cigarette. Oh, good. Okay, I have every time Simon... <laughs> this will make sense when you watch the movie. Every <laughs> time Simon Pegg laughs at a naked body. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my last one... I wrote down every time Simon Pegg says fuck, but let's just do it every time anyone says fuck. Okay, good. My last one is every time Simon Pegg says he'll be there in an hour. Okay. So that is pretty much the end of our non-spoilery section. Um, this is your warning that we'll be getting into spoiler territory starting now, going into the movie in depth, breaking it down scene by scene. So this is your warning. Okay, morning over. You're still here? <laughs> Sick. <laughs> so this movie starts off. Uh, this movie, okay, is structured in a really, really cool way that we'll get into. But it starts off where Simon Pegg is hunting this guy down through the Australian desert. Like with a gun. And the guy is just like <laughs> crawling away. And Simon Pegg catches up to him. He's about to kill him. But then he gets a call on his cell phone. And we don't know who from right now. But he says, he's like, yeah, I'll take the job. And then when he hangs up, he kills the dude. So we figure out in this like little intro sequence that Simon Pegg is some kind of like hired hitman, I guess. And that's kind of the setup for, for the story. And then we get into the way that this movie is structured is because the name of the movie is Kill Me Three Times. We have three sections i guess of the movie or, or acts i guess the acts are broken up like act one act two act three but they're broken up into kill me once kill me twice and kill me three times and in each kill me sequence we learn a little bit more about what's going on behind the scenes yeah and by the way the kill me sections 
aren't in chronological order, so they kind of skip around, and then you you know you learn one thing, and then you learn someone else's point of view in another kill me section. So I don't know how uh, you structured your notes, Ashley, but I took the kind of plot summary off of Wikipedia, and that's basically just in chronological order. So <laughs> we'll do our best to fill in the details. It's kind of a hard movie to explain in that way because it jumps back and forth a little bit, but we will try our best. So we'll get into kind of the structure of the movie after we kind of go over the plot because it is a little bit convoluted in how they explain things. And like Amy said, everything's kind of out of order. So we're going to explain things in chronological order and then we'll go over how the movie structures things because it is really cool the way that they the way that they do it and how they kind of reveal things along the way very complicated to explain though in this format so but yeah we'll get to that at the end for now we're just going to jump right in so we get in chronological order uh we get introduced to this guy jack and he owns like bar or hotel a motel something and he thinks that his wife alice is having an affair and he also has a sister who we kind of get to know a little later in the movie who tells him that you know everyone kind of thinks his wife is having an affair and that he should hire this pi named charlie wolf who is played by simon pegg so then jack hires simon pegg to basically just you know get evidence so he can know for sure if his if his wife is cheating on him. And then, you know, we, we kind of see Jack and Alice's relationship. It's not very good. They get into a fight. He hits her. Alice leaves. And then she goes to Luke Hemsworth's place, <laughs> who she's having the affair with. Yeah, I did not recognize him as a, as a Hemsworth. He looked a little more like a Wahlberg or something. Um, he does kind of look like a Wahlberg. I mean, I saw his name in the opening credits and I was like, because oh, I had never seen, I don't know about you, I have never seen a movie with Luke Hemsworth in it. I've seen the other two so many times. This is my first <laughs> Luke Hemsworth movie. This is a milestone. Finally, we're only 60 something movies in and finally we have a, a Luke Hemsworth <laughs> movie. So she goes to Luke Hemsworth's place. And they kind of talk about running away together, but neither of them have very much money. And Simon Pegg, who's kind of following Alice and lurking about, gets some pictures of them together with this, like, really cool Mission Impossible-style binocular thing. But it also takes pictures. Yeah, it was really rad. And then also, I thought you were going to mention the colonoscopy camera. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He also he has this very cool, high tech binocular viewfinder picture taker. Uh, and also he has a colonoscopy camera <laughs> <laughs> that he kind of sneaks in the window to take some videos and some pictures of them. And then, you know, gets even more dramatique when Alice finds out she's prego the next morning. She's throwing up. Uh, she's taken a pregnancy test. Uh Oh, some Uh-oh. complications. We don't really know whose baby it is because she's with Jack, but is cheating on him with Luke Hemsworth, which, you know, fair. <laughs> but it is implied that it's Luke Hemsworth's. So then Simon Pegg goes and shows Jack the video of 
his wife getting it on with Luke Hemsworth uh, with the colonoscopy camera. And so Jack is like, okay, interesting, interesting. Um, Can you kill her? And he's like, yeah, like, hypothetically, I could do that. But don't you want even, like, five minutes to process this information? And Jack's like, um, let me think. No, I don't. No. How would you like to kill her for, like half a million dollars or something and Tim Peck's like you know what yeah that sounds pretty sick to me so <laughs> he hires him to kill his wife because she's having an affair Jack is like abusive he's like beating her he like chipped her tooth she gotta go to the dentist the next day you know what let her let her be with a Hemsworth get it girl this is true he literally like the first scene they're in together he's like are you cheating and she's like no and then he threatens her at gunpoint. He's like, mm, what's the next step after asking? Um, gun. <laughs> yeah, ask gun hitman. <laughs> three, three steps of life. Ask gun hitman. And he's already at the hitman stage and we're like 15 minutes into the movie. <laughs> so Alice has got to go to the dentist because her crazy abusive boyfriend has been smacking her around. And the dentist just so happens to be Jack's her husband's sister, who is also the girl from Warm Bodies, which was pretty sick. Really? Damn. Yeah. Who I did not know was Australian, unless she's just doing a really good accent. So her and her husband are going to be taking care of Alice's teeth. But there's also some sketchy going on over there. Because when Alice arrives, they kidnap her. They kidnap her. <laughs> wow, really? That's one of the steps that I think... Jack missed. He, he, went right, gone. He, he went right to Hitman. The kidnap is in the middle, I think. Somewhere mm-hmm. there. It's talk, gun, kidnap, Hitman. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows. I mean, that's just the order of the universe. Talk, gun, kidnap, Hitman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a weird clue that you have to decipher. Talk, gun, kidnap, Hitman. <laughs> but yeah, so... Uh, the two dentists just kidnap her, and we don't know why yet. Uh, and they put her in their car. There's this whole scene of shenanigans where they're switching cars, and uh, the dentist dude, he gets a flat tire, and he has to go and change his tire. And then Luke Hemsworth almost catches him with the with the unconscious body in the car, and it's like all these shenanigans. But eventually, they switch cars, so that Alice is in their car, and they light it on fire and drive it down a cliff. Just from one extreme to another, we go from kidnapping to setting a car on fire and driving it off a cliff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we kind of later, after some more shenanigans, we figure out why they're doing this. And it's because Nathan, the dentist dude gambled all their money away he's like a gambler bets on the races whatever and so they need to fake the dentist girl's death to cash in on her life insurance and so in this convoluted plot they put alice in their car to act as the dentist girl so the police will find a body and the dentist dude switches their dental records so that when the police ask for his wife's dental records it'll actually match the one the one in the car this is very confusing um but anyway they just want to get their life insurance cashed in 
by the way, I think they're married too. The the mm-hmm. two dentists. So that, that's why like the guy will get her dental <laughs> not dental insurance. That's why the guy will get her life insurance um, because they're <laughs> married to each other. And once she's quote unquote dead, he can get the money to pay back the mafia or whoever is after him for all his gambling debts. Yeah. Over the course of this movie, literally everyone owes everyone money at some point. So he owes the the bookie or whatever some money. Um, and he's gotta get this life insurance. Meanwhile, while all of this is going on, Simon Pegg is watching with his little binocular cam, his little colonoscopy cam, and he's taking pics the whole time. But he's not, you know, getting in there. He's just kind of from afar watching. And little do the dentist couple know that Alice manages to escape, but they think she's dead now. She jumped off on a cliff, and she's got like a gash in her neck or something, but she's all good. She's alive. She's actually doing pretty good. She's not even dying. She's just like, damn, got a gash in my neck. I got a big old wound in my neck. She is doing pretty damn well for having been mm, slapped around, held at gunpoint, stabbed in the neck, lit on fire, (laughs) drove off a cliff, and then jumped onto a cliff. Yeah, She's doing pretty damn well. (laughs) She's like, just another day in the life. (laughs) Also, at some point, she loses her shoes. Um... (laughs) Okay, that was a very important uh, plot point, I guess. When I was, not to get too off topic, when I was reading the reviews for this movie, a lot of people were like, oh my god, this is so similar to Quentin Tarantino movies. And I was like, mm, is it? There's just like kind of the wonky timing, the the different sequencing, but other than that. Uh, and then I was thinking about it a bit more, and I was like, why did she have no shoes in that scene? Quentin? Uh, Mr. Tarantino? Is that you? Oh, no! Oh, no! The foot fetish resurfaces! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not right. And then I'm like, wait a second. She gets slapped <laughs> around a lot. She has no shoes. Okay, maybe they're on to something. We pulled the, the mask off the director when he's tied to the chair, Scooby-Doo style. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, all along. Oh, <laughs> He would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those podcasters. (laughs) Meddling podcasters. (laughs) So Simon Pegg is kind of thrilled during this whole situation because these two kind of bumbling dentists are basically doing his job for him. He got hired to kill Alice and then he shows up to kill Alice and these other two people are already killing Alice. So he's like, well, that's a day. That's a day's work for me. So he goes back to Jack's office to get his money. But as we know from before, Alice stole a bunch of money from Jack to try to run away with Luke Hemsworth, which really, who wouldn't? So Jack's safe is totally empty. So Simon Pegg gives him a day to get his money back. Simon Pegg's a gangster in this movie. And at this point, I think the dentist couple has the money that she stole because they got it from her car after they kidnapped her. (laughs) So they have the money currently And meanwhile, while all this is going on, there's also this weird, old-ass, creepy-ass cop dude that shows up at the dentist's office, and he says to the dentist dude, Hey, just found your wife's car at the bottom of a cliff. 
and I know you're trying to get that insurance money. So if you want me to zip my lips, you got to give me half of it. And this dentist dude is like, oh, my God, no thanks. And this old-ass, creepy-ass cop dude starts choking him out (laughs) 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 and blackmailing him. And he's like, give me that money or else I'll snitch and I'll arrest you. And he's like, I guess. And that sucks enough for the dentist dude because he's owing money to the mafia who, well, we don't, it, it's a this random cough and some horse race jockeys, I guess. Which that sucks enough for him, how much money he owes. But then he gets a text from Simon Pegg with uh, blackmail pictures of the dentist couple killing, quote unquote, so they think, Alice, demanding more money. So the dentist has now got to go meet Simon Pegg to give him money so he doesn't get blackmailed and go to jail. So then uh, he meets up with Simon Pegg and he thinks, oh, Simon Pegg's just talking a big talk. He's he's not really going to do anything to me because without me, no one can cash in on that life insurance money because obviously the dead wife can't do it herself. So he's like, I'm like invincible. You can't get me, Simon Pegg. What does Simon Pegg do? Shoot him. (laughs) (laughs) You said bet. (laughs) But the dentist dude, he did stab Simon Pegg in the hand. He he got a couple of uh, stabs in there, but he does die. That's too bad. Nobody can cash in on the life insurance now. And while the dentist dude is dying, Simon Pegg's like, I'm going to go pay a visit to your wife. Maybe I'll kill her, too. And he's like, no, don't do it. So (laughs) Simon Pegg goes to the dentist dude's wife. And you think, oh, my God, Simon Pegg is going to kill her. Turns out they've been furking the whole time. Um, (laughs) He goes in. Gun first, just like the order says. Talk then gun. Uh, he's going in, sweeping the house, sees her in the shower, raises the gun to her head, um, and he kisses her. And you're like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it turns out they've been seeing each other all along. I guess not too seriously, though, because when she finds out that Simon Pegg killed her husband, she's not really too mad that he killed her husband, to be fair. She's mad that now no one can collect the insurance money so she kind of flips out and simon Pegg is like mm, this is too much drama for me and he decides to leave her <laughs> yeah he's like mm, actually never mind <laughs> and while this is before this happened we also catch up with luke hemsworth who kind of at the same time maybe a little earlier went to go pay a visit to jack because he's like, I know you've been slapping Alice around. I want to set you straight. I want to tell you what's what. And, you know, we're going to resolve this issue like men. Whatever. So he goes to Jack's office to, you know, tell him off for being a bad husband and, and whatever. Ashley, have I ever told you... You know, this is funny, too. Uh, we haven't had a Luke Hemsworth movie in 66-something episodes. I don't think a Jack movie has come up in 60-something episodes. Have I told you about the Jack theory that me and friend of the podcast, Julia, have? Spe- like, specifically about the character in this movie? Well, characters named Jack in general. Oh, oh do tell. Okay, well, most of the characters named Jack in movies... 
die by the end of the movie. And so when a character named Jack comes up, immediately I'm like, he's gonna die. And in this movie, like, most of the people die. But still, the Jack theory continues on. Okay, picture me this. Titanic. Jack. Dead. Right? Yes. Okay. Daredevil. His dad's name is Jack. Beginning of the movie, dead. Oh. Brokeback Mountain. Jack, dead. Th- you see, so many Jacks die. So in this movie, as soon as Jack comes on the screen, I'm like, he is gonna die sometime in this movie. And oh you know what? Oh my god. Luke Hemsworth confronting him, telling him off. Before, when Alice was stealing Jack's money, she also stole his gun, which Luke Hemsworth now has. Jack, by the way, is a complete idiot in this movie because he's like, I'm going to kill you, Luke Hemsworth. I'm going to teach you what's what. And he opens his drawer. His gun isn't even there, bitch. And Luke Hemsworth (laughs) is like, you looking for this? He takes out his gun, shoots him dead. So that's the Jack theory. Another Jack movie passes the Jack test. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. This is a a revolutionary. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to watch a single Jack movie now without knowing who's going to (laughs) die. Yeah, happens a majority of the time. Not every time. But enough that you're like, oh, my God, there's a Jack in this movie. He's going to die. Probably. It's the force of nature that that's just the way the universe works. If your name is Jack, you got to die by the end of the movie. That's the way the the Jack crumbles. That's the way yeah. the Jack dies. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he gets all up close and shoots him dead. And then he's like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so he decides he's going after Simon Pegg now because he thinks Simon Pegg is the one who actually did the deed, who killed his girl. So, meanwhile, while Simon Pegg is mm, trying to leave the dentist girl, Luke Hemsworth is making his way over to that to the house to try to kill Simon Pegg. So, we have this confrontation now where everyone is at the front of the house. The dentist girl is uh, yelling at Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg leaves out the front of the house, walks right into Luke Hemsworth, who is obviously torn up inside about his girlfriend supposedly dying so he tries to shoot simon Pegg and accidentally hits the dentist girl so she's dead now and then this whole time alice has been having just a rough day she's had a, a john McClane kind of day she almost died like five <laughs> times um she's got no shoes on oh Thanks. my god die hard tarantino was that you <laughs> so she's got no shoes on and She has, you know, just been set on fire in a car and she's been driven off a cliff and then she jumped onto another cliff to save her life. And then she's been kind of just walking the road barefoot for like uh, a couple of hours and she arrives at the house and somehow she gets this like sledgehammer or something and she's just beaten on Simon Pegg. And then she knocks out Simon Pegg. She like pushes him over this roof or something (laughs) and then she's like let's get out of here and her and uh, luke hemsworth get out of there they take the money they leave and then at the end alice kind of whispers something in luke hemsworth's ear probably that she's pregnant but girl maybe you should take another test you had a bad day uh Mm. had a pretty long day there who knows what's what and then at the end we find out Simon pig is still alive and that uh is the end of the movie it ends with simon pig just (laughs) 
kind of speared through the stomach after he fell off that uh, roof or whatever. And his phone rings and it's another job that someone has for him. And he's like, yep, be there in an hour. Take a drink. <laughs> we did mention that uh, this movie kind of has, you know, it's it's timeline is kind of back and forth. It starts off and then it goes into the past and then, you know, it skips around. So I guess we can go over kind of how the timeline is in the movie. Yeah, because it's um, it's really cool the way that they do it. Like I said, it's kind of broken up into kill me once, kill me twice and kill me three times. And we learn a little bit more as we move through the, the kill me phases. <laughs> so in kill me once, it's a pretty short section. All that we know during kill me once is... It's the whole sequence is just the dentists trying to kill Alice and Simon Pegg sort of just watching from the distance with his little his little uh, Mission Impossible binoculars and stuff. <laughs> um, and it ends with the dentist couple driving the car, which is on fire with Alice in it off a cliff and it falls off this huge cliff and explodes. And that's the end of Kill Me Once. So we think, oh, my God, there's this crazy dentist couple that just killed this random innocent girl. And Simon Pegg is just watching for some reason. We don't really know why he's like, is he like a PI? Is he trying to figure stuff? Because he's taking pictures when everything like while this is happening. But then we learn more in Kill Me Twice, where it flashes back to basically the beginning of the story, which is where we learn all about everyone's backstory about Alice and jack and their kind of like bad abusive relationship um we learn everyone's relationships to each other so we know that jack is the brother of the dentist girl who's married to the other dentist guy who uh, is also her assistant i guess and we learn that jack hired simon Pegg to see if his wife is cheating on him and then hire simon Pegg again to kill her and then we kind of make our way from there chronologically to the beginning of the dentist couple killing Alice. So this is where we learn about the dentist husband's gambling addiction and that they are not just a crazy murderous couple, but oh, they have like, they're, they're desperate. They need to get some money and everything. So the same thing happens. They uh, light her car on fire. They knock her out. They kidnap her. They drive Alice's car off a cliff with her inside it. But we learned something more this time is that she got out at the last second and survived. And then we move on to Kill Me Three Times, which is the last section and also the name of the movie, <laughs> which is the aftermath of the crash and the, the trying to kill Alice thing. So this is where Simon Pegg goes to collect his money from Jack and Jack's like, I don't have the money. Luke Hemsworth finds out what happens and goes and kills Jack. Um, we find out that Simon and the dentist girl are in a relationship and the whole climax happens where everyone basically kills each other and Alice and Luke Hemsworth run away together and Simon Pegg is just kind of chilling and just didn't really complete any of his jobs, <laughs> to be fair. Um, but he takes a new one at the end and that's the way that this movie is kind of structured. Yeah, so it, it's got this interesting structure i was very confused at the beginning but by the end you kind of get the the full picture it was really good it was original i liked it i liked the music also that was used in this movie a lot of people in imdb reviews were like why are they playing the same song over and over and i was like <laughs> i liked it it was like 
this jazzy kind of spy music. It set the tone of the movie. I think it fit pretty well. Yeah, it takes place in Australia. Got that beautiful Australian beaches, that scenery. And yeah, stylistically, it was a really good movie. Honestly, just with the the structure of the movie made sense that they were repeating the songs over and over because that's the point of the movie is they were repeating the scenes over and over where you just learn a little bit more each time. I did. The, oh, I, the Australia setting was great, though, because you know how sometimes you like uh, in in horror movies or whatever, where there's the victim of the serial killer that's trying to run away and they're just running away in a straight path. And you're like, just like go into the woods or something. There was a scene or a couple scenes where Alice is trying to escape the dentists who are trying to kidnap her and she's running straight down the road. And I was like, just run off into the brush. There's like a little bit of like wilderness on either side of the road. And I was like, just go after. And then I was like, well, this is Australia, actually. So I feel like you would die either way if you just ran <laughs> off into the brush you and got what? bitten by a spider or a snake or something. That's true. I had the same thought watching that. I was just like, go on the forest, girl. Hide yourself. But yeah, I didn't think about all the the terrifying creatures that would probably kill her. <laughs> I thought it was structured really... Like, I don't know. I think, like, it would have been a cool movie, you know, just to see Simon Pegg as a hitman and, you know, this kind of whole convoluted plot. But, like, what really set it apart was the... The time skipping thing, and I know that's been done before, it's very kind of like memento-esque, but I thought they did a good job of it, of skipping around and just kind of giving us enough detail to kind of understand the plot, but then later on, like revealing more and more as we watch, it was done in a really good way that I was able to uh, understand, which is good because I am not usually good at that. Yeah, I mean, I love that, like, specifically for the tone, I mean, we're going to go into reviews for this movie once we're done kind of going over our overall thoughts. But I feel like a lot of people are going to mention the tone of this movie because it is kind of like a little bit over the top. But I liked that. I liked how this movie didn't seem to take itself seriously at all. Like, it had a good story with good twists and everything that I didn't see coming. But I liked just kind of how it was, you know, silly, goofy, without trying to take itself too seriously. And it it worked really well. Like, Simon Pegg was this big, kind of over-the-top hitman. And all the dentists are like, oh, we need money? Um, We're going straight to murder. Like, it just, I don't know, <laughs> the the tone of the movie, like, it wasn't inconsistent. All the characters seemed kind of on the same level in terms of, like, OTT-ness. I, I thought it was really good. And I'm glad, for me at least, I don't know about you, Amy, but to me, Simon Pegg got his redemption arc. This, oh, to me, this. this was the movie that I wanted out of Slaughterhouse Rules. This is good. This is what we like to hear. And a lot of the reviews said that, he did a really good job, especially because he's playing against type. Usually he's like the the hero or he's like a very lovable, charismatic character. And he is in this movie, but he's also the villain. So it's really good to see him in like a villain role and just to yes. see like, yeah, I don't know. He was great in this movie. And, and you're right. I like how it was over the top and it was 
It, it it says it's a thriller, but it's not like thrilling in in the sense that it's like you get like shivers down your spine or whatever. It's it's not. A lot of people again said that this was like a Tarantino movie, and even though it had a lot of blood it's... and there was a little violence, it wasn't like violent, violent or like bloody gory. It was mm-hmm. more like kind of campy like whenever someone gets shot in the neck there's just like this water hose of, of <laughs> this yeah. like squirt gun of blood coming out of their neck it's not like scary at all i feel like this is more like a a coen brothers movie if you've seen mm. uh burn after reading or fargo uh, they have a lot of movies about kind of bumbling idiots trying to get away with murder and trying to do these things and it's a lot more light-hearted than a Tarantino movie, and it's a lot more funny than a Tarantino movie. I will say it does have the feet, though. It does have the foot <laughs> shots of a Tarantino movie, so maybe it's a little bit of both. But, uh, yeah, I liked just, like, overall the vibe, the tone. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, and, um, I, I mean, you know, if you, if you want to know our thoughts about Slaughterhouse Rules, we released that episode last month, so you can go and take a listen to it, the other Simon Pegg movie that we did this season and not to get into it too much but i think this is more what i was expecting out of slaughterhouse rules this kind of over-the-top style um and especially you know from the name slaughterhouse i thought this was going to be more of the plot of like oh you have to learn how to murder people or you know something like you have to learn how to be a hitman or whatever so to me like i got the movie i wanted you know this is exactly what i was expecting out of the last iron peg movie and i am glad that i got it (laughs) yeah i think there was a little confusion with that one because nick frost was also in it and i think uh we got the wrong impression of it going to be like a Cornetto movie, which it wasn't exactly. And this one doesn't have Nick Frost in it, doesn't have Edgar Wright directing. It's just kind of Simon Pegg and his element. And there's not really that that kind of expectation, I guess, that comes with this movie. We just kind of go with the flow. So yeah, I will say, and don't hate me, but I will say I still like Slaughterhouse Rules a little bit better than this movie. Okay. I feel like this movie was good, but I felt like it had... A little more potential. It could have gone a little further. Simon Pegg was the best comedically in this movie, and the others were all right. But I kind of wish it was a little bit funnier. And let's mm. let's get into our what we would improve section. This is a new section that we have on season three of the podcast. It's basically, you know, if we had a hand in making this movie, the kind of things that we would change or we would try to improve. And this movie had some funny moments, but they weren't, like, laugh-out-loud funny to me. So, I don't know, I kind of wish it was just a little funnier. There were some goofs, like physical goofs, things like they're trying to sink this car, and then the car is just, like, not sinking. But I kind of wish the dialogue was a little bit more quick, because the tone of the movie is, like, very fast-paced, it's got this upbeat music and this bright scenery, and I feel like kind of a quicker dialogue would have fitted a bit better. Because yes. the dialogue in this movie is kind of a little bit boring, if I'm going to be <laughs> honest, for a comedy movie. I completely agree. I mean, as is the case with every movie he's in, Simon Pegg absolutely steals the show. He's so much. It's just like, 
he doesn't need to do anything. He's just funny, just the way that he is. And he was like that in this <laughs> yeah. movie, too. I mean, I liked how much he was in this movie compared to Slaughterhouse Rules. Like, it seemed to me like he got more of a time to shine. But I agree. He was definitely the best part of this movie because of how just naturally funny he is. I think maybe the casting, like the writing, too, and they could have added some more, like, quips and stuff. But, yeah, I guess, like... Luke Hemsworth, the girl who played Alice, I guess tried they they played it a bit more seriously. They could have gone a bit more over the top or a bit funnier. I agree. Yeah, and Jack too. I was like, yeah, okay, he thinks he's in like a mafia movie or something. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's getting shot in the neck, and there's like this Nerf gun of blood squirting <laughs> out of his neck. It's not it's not that serious, bro. Yeah, just a little bit more flavor in the dialogue. Yes. Just a little even if they they say it kind of more seriously, if the dialogue is funny, it's going to be funny. There's only one other thing that I think would have been a little bit more of an improvement and at the very beginning, we kind of get this teaser where Simon Pegg is lying down almost dead and he's like, didn't want to die, but here I am <laughs> something, you know, um, and he has these like two lines of voiceover at the beginning and then we never hear it again. I think even if he just had like a couple more lines uh, of voiceover at the end, it would been it would have been nice to bookend the movie like that. But I also wouldn't have minded if he had a voiceover throughout the movie because sometimes just did not know what was going on. I think that was the point of the movie to reveal things at certain points. But sometimes I was like, am I dumb or like, what, what is going on here? And he is kind of like the common thread that links everyone. Him and Alice are kind of like the common threads that, that link all the other characters. So if he had this like omniscient voiceover, it would have been, you know, just a little bit more insightful maybe yeah i don't even remember the voiceover at the beginning of this movie frankly <laughs> so i think they could have even gone the opposite and just done zero voiceover but i and usually i'm not just kind of in general for movies i'm not really a voiceover fan i think it can work sometimes but sometimes it's just like it, it's just not you know super necessary sometimes they're like I was feeling so sad. And meanwhile, you see their face really sad. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> we could have cut this. I think you're just trying to pad the runtime. But I'm thinking back to like other Simon Pegg movies that we all know and love. We keep coming back to it, but there's a reason. So they're so good. The Cornetto movies, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, they have voiceovers if i am remembering correctly like they're like oh we're gonna go to the the winchester and have a pint and whatever simon Pegg just does it in his you know funny comedic voice and it, it ties the movie together i think that would work really well simon Pegg was doing a voiceover and just saying like and then i had to kill this girl but it looked like the dentists were doing it for me and just had his like little quippy lines that he does yeah that would have uh, helped the readability of this movie i guess yeah it could get pretty convoluted at times at some points i was like wait a second why are they going there what what's happening now just a little you know here and there just a couple of lines might have helped you know what it could have also been done in kind of a like a noir-esque kind of thing because simon Pegg is like a hitman but he's also kind of like 
in the beginning at least, acting like sort of a detective. And you know how in those old detective movies you have like a, she walked into my office, <laughs> a tall drink of water. I knew she had a job for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel I like Simon could have had something kind of like that where, you know, when he's getting the job from Jack, uh, Jack is like, you'll go follow my wife. And then later when he's like, kill my wife, we could have had this like really funny internal dialogue that Simon Pegg does kind of in like a noir style of like what he's thinking uh, when all this stuff is happening. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm literally getting like flashback to this. We could even have like a fantastic. Oh, one of my favorite moments in Arrested Development, if anyone's seen that show is Michael Sarah's character does this a couple times throughout the show where he'll have an internal dialogue in his head, but it's done in real time. So what he's saying in his head, he'll be like, I didn't really want to do that, um, but I kind of have to do that. And they really, like, it's not my thing, but it kind of is. Oh, she's looking at me now. She's looking at me because <laughs> I'm spending so much time saying things in my head to myself. Exactly 37 <laughs> seconds have passed since I've been saying things to myself in my head. I should really say something out loud. Like, something like that, <laughs> where, like, he's saying all these, like, quippy lines in his head, but real time is passing. That would have added a fantastic layer of comedy to this movie. Oh my god, if he's like, if he's like the classic noir detective in his yes. head, but then out loud and in his body language, he's just like the most awkward hitman ever. <laughs> yeah, yes. that would have been so good. Yeah, a lot of people, by the way, in the IMDb reviews were complaining, like, why are they calling this a noir? Noir means it's nighttime. You can't have a, a, a movie set in the daytime and be in, in the broad daylight and have it be a noir. And it's just what? like, calm down. Calm down. You can do whatever you like. Okay? It's just a movie. <laughs> Not that serious. And you know what? It, I think it would have been better if they lent, if they leaned more into the noir thing. So push further into that. You know, I love that when, because, you know, typically these kind of murder plot movies are like set in the nighttime. You kind of expect it to be dark alleyways and dive bars and things like that. But I like that they set it in broad daylight in Australia, yes. which is so beautiful. I think that added a little bit of comedy. And they're they're doing these things like in the middle. It's like noon. It's like lunchtime. And they're like kidnapping people and, and doing yes. all these things. I think that adds to the comedy. Yeah, I'm thinking and I don't I'm thinking back. I don't think a single scene in this movie took place at night. And you know what? I liked that. Yeah, except oh, except maybe the scene where he's using his little colonoscopy camera. To oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that video. But like that doesn't really matter. Like the, the crimes that they're committing are in broad daylight. I don't think there's anything else that would change about this movie. Yeah, there's honestly, there's not. It was pretty good. I think it might not really issue, but like where I saw the potential was in like the casting and the humor and yes. stuff like that. But yeah, it was not bad at all. This was it was pretty good. Yeah, agreed. I'm curious what the Internet thought about this movie now, because we, we've mentioned kind of like a couple things of uh, just sort of hinting at what people have said throughout this movie. So I'm very eager to get into it. We have three IMDb reviews here. The first is by user Cosmap, who gave it a 7 out of 10. And their tagline is, overkill. Or, not enough kill? <laughs> it depends on how you see it. We have quite a lot of bad people here, and no one is to be trusted. In a sense, this sometimes might try to be more clever than it is. But it's fun to watch. Even Simon Pegg. 
And I say this because while he's a fun guy in real life, he plays quite the killer here and still most probably will sort of root for him. He's not worse than other people here, though. The greed, the envy, the bad intentions, all laid bare, with some time twisting, still overall predictable, but a lot of fun to watch. You know what? I agree with that. I don't know if it's just Simon Pegg's general persona, even though he was the bad guy here. You still root for him. Yeah, and the rest of the characters are pretty unlikable. Yep. (laughs) Also helps. (laughs) The next review is by user... At thumb underscore Tashtush, who gave it a 5 out of 10, and their tagline is, The type of movies where it's watchable with a couple of surprises, but it ends with no marks. You just turn off the TV and go to sleep, not remembering what it was about. They probably wanted to make a movie Pulp Fiction-like, but it didn't look fast enough, or the sequencing just went off. But to be fair, the plot and some of the execution was good, with a couple of unexpected surprises. So I have to say it went just 50% okay till the ending, where in this style of movies, you gotta hate happy endings, but they just had to do it, and it made an awful ending for an almost average movie. The screenplay was good, even though it seems a bit like a Tarantino ripoff, with maybe a bit newer, more explosive cars. But I think it'll sound like a new, awesome style for the kids who never saw Pulp Fiction. But they won't know it is nowhere near awesome unless we tell them in the reviews. Smiley face. (laughs) (laughs) And oh, here we go. This is one you were talking about. Oh yeah, this (laughs) This, is the one I was talking about. This is the last IMDb review we have. It's by user Jesse Gehrig, who gave it a 3 out of 10. And their tagline is, noir means black. (laughs) If you have a movie billed as noir... And you set that movie in a sunny, tropical locale, and the bulk of the footage is in daylight, you can't call it noir. It's not noir. I mean, there's no law on Earth to stop you from calling it noir, but it won't be the genuine article. A movie that's in the noir genre is always in the shadows, specifically, literally, but also metaphorically. (laughs) Usually... Usually it's a detective story or a crime story, and it almost always has a dark ending. You don't have to follow these rules, but you deviate at your own risk. A monster movie without a monster is not a real monster movie. A noir movie with a happy ending, and it's filmed in a coastal fucking Australia in the fucking daytime, is not a real noir movie. (laughs) If you think I quibble, (laughs) I only quibble because I fucking care. Damn. Mm-hmm. Um, respectfully, gonna have to disagree. I think this was great, but damn, he he do be quibbling though. He do be quibbling. We also have uh four very short reviews on Letterboxd. The the first review is by Awesome Wells, who gave it one star, and they say, "For fuck's sake, once would have been plenty." Oh my god. <laughs> The second review is by Iz, who gave it one and a half stars. Please kill me three times. Oh, no. (laughs) The third review is by Max the Dreamer, who gave it half a star. And Max says, nothing to see here. (laughs) Yikes. The last review for today is by Matt, who didn't give it a star rating. But Matt said, bad, but I had fun. Fair. Yeah, that's why we're here. 
Exactly. You know what? That's that's the point of our podcast is to try to find some bad movies that you can have some fun with. And you know what? This was a good redemption movie for Simon Pegg. Um, It was a good fun movie to have on our fun season. Yes. And I guess we can get into our reviews now. Okay. well, I'm very excited because I, you know. We had a bit of a, a curse placed upon us last month in October. <laughs> we couldn't really agree on uh, movies, uh, namely Slaughterhouse Rules, the last Simon Pegg movie we did. This one, I think we're going to agree more on. I think we both liked it quite a bit. Of course, it's not a perfect movie. You know, there's there's things that we could change that could uh, could have been bumped up or made better. But overall, the way that it was, I at least really enjoyed it. This is a movie I would totally go back and watch again. So now I guess we're going to give it our number ratings. If you're new to the podcast, we rate all the movies that we watch on what we call the Gold Bloom scale, named after the named after none other than our Lord and Savior Jeff Goldblum. And this is a scale of bad movies. So a 10 out of 10 is not necessarily a perfect movie. It's just pretty good for a bad movie. And a 1 out of 10 is so bad I could barely finish it. I really like this movie. (laughs) Again, like it wasn't perfect. There's better movies out there. There's better Simon Pegg movies out there. But I really enjoyed it. I thought the structure was really good. I thought the acting was good. The comedy could have been bumped up, like we said. But overall, I'm going to give it a, a, a decent score. I think I'm going to go like a 7.5. Ooh, damn. Okay, interesting. I'm going to go a, a tiny bit lower, but I still like this movie. But I do think it had a little bit of potential that they didn't really use. Again, the humor could have been like pumped up a little bit. Uh, maybe the casting could have been... Could have been a little different, except for Simon Pegg, of course. Of course. Um, but I'm I'm gonna give it maybe like a five. I know okay. that sounds low, but I did enjoy it. But it is one of those movies where I was like thinking about the potential it had. Also, <sighs> yes. Um, and and just for reference, IMDb gave this movie a five point nine out of ten, and the critics on Rotten Tomatoes gave it a sixteen <gasps> percent. And what? the audience, I know, and the audience gave it a 30%. 16. Um, yeah. I know, harsh. Well, I- I'm glad that we could uh, bump up that rating just a bit with uh, our thoughts on it. And you know what? If anyone out there uh, is is deciding whether or not you should see this movie, I say see it. I think it's, you know, I think it's a pretty good movie. It's only like an hour and a half, too. It's not very long. But yeah, I think that's all we have for today. So if you have any fun movies to recommend for the rest of our fun season, or you have thoughts on this movie, you can always tell us at Podcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter or Letterboxd. We're at BMS Podcast on both. And a big thank you to Kevin McLeod for providing our theme song. The song is Riptide, and you can find it on his website, incompetech.filmmusic.io. And a big thank you to everyone listening. We have been Bad Movie Sunday. I'm Ashley. I'm Amy. And we will see you next, next week.